Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? You guys good? Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. It's such an honor to gather with you. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here at City Church. And man, it's such an honor to get together every week and do what we do here. And man, if you're new, I hope that you're finding space where this, this feels like home, this feels like family. After the service, you're going to have a chance to, to connect with others and just build continual community. So however we can serve you, man, listen, we are here for you. Our heartbeat here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And so no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, we want to meet you where you are. We want to help you take some next steps. And it's not just from me, that's from this family here at City Church. So really, really glad you're here. If you're online with us, all of the same resources are available through that digital connection card, so we would love to connect with you that way as well. A couple of things. We, we, we're kicking off this series. We've been, this is week three of our series, Starting Point, and the premise has been that everything has a starting point, right? Everything in your life has a starting point. You have a starting point, right? Some of you were started on purpose, and some of you were surprises, <laughs> But we're glad that you made it, right? Everything has a starting point. And the point of this series is that even faith has a starting point. But most of us don't give thought to where faith started. Or if we did, for, for a lot of you, again, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but, but there's this space between what we've been taught as little kids or what we were exposed to, or if you didn't grow up in or around a religious you know, faith tradition or anything, if you weren't handed a paradigm growing up of here's what you believe and why you should believe it, then, then you kind of started to put pieces together on your own, or maybe you're still trying to put pieces together. You're not sure why you believe what you believe, and you're trying to look at all these different things, and what happens is along the way, there starts to be these gaps between what we hear and then what we experience. And so we start having all these questions. It's like our, our childhood faith for a lot of people doesn't grow up and it can't answer some of the grown-up questions and the grown-up conversations and the grown-up struggles and experiences. And so this series is kind of coming together like a puzzle. Each week, really intentional conversations. But I want you to know today, we're going to look at, at, at more of this conversation, but, but really you need the whole picture at the end of it. So not only this week, but as we continue to walk through this series, I would encourage you, if you've missed weeks one and two, go check it out on our podcast, grab our YouTube channel, whatever's helpful, so that you can get the big picture coming together that all of this is going somewhere. But, but the big idea that we, we kind of have, have presented over the, the beginning of the series is, what if we could start over? Again, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, so we're just kind of putting it out there. What if you could start over on your spiritual journey? Like, where would we start if you could just reset everything and start over? Because not only does your faith have a starting point, but again, this is where we're going today. You might not have thought about this, but the story of faith actually has a starting point. Did, did you know that? Like, like not, not just your own personal, you know, faith journey and all of that, where you grew up, you know, what your mama said or what your grandma thought or what they believed or this or that, right? We have these different things that influence it, but in addition, as we think about our, our own stories, we need to consider that the actual story of faith has a starting point. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not a big history dude, like, like when I was in school, my, my worst classes were history. 
And so then when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to faith, I automatically start to tune out around the history conversations. I just don't have a lot of bandwidth for those type of dialogues. I'm like, oh man, that's great, but what about right now, right? So uh, some of you, you're wrestling with faith, you're trying to figure out where you land, or, or maybe you're just trying to, you know, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're just trying to make sure that you, you stay in the zone of like, okay, my faith is strong, and how do I answer hard questions, and how do I meet people where they are? Some of you are asking those questions yourself, but, but one of the challenges you and I face is, is, is not just like the look back. You know, we, don't, we have busy lives, don't we? Right, like you have life going on and all the things happening around you, and so we don't have like a lot of time to sit back and to, to ponder and to think about the, the starting point of faith, but rather we're, we're thinking, okay, it's, it's Sunday, and I'm trying to figure out what I believe about this whole God conversation and Jesus and all of that, and what I do know is it's Sunday, and since Monday, I've been asking God for a date, and it still hasn't happened. So where the heck is God in that conversation, right? That, that's the practical side of faith that I'm looking for. Or, hey, it's Sunday, and I've been praying all week for X, Y, and Z to happen. I've got a sick family member. I've, I've got this job opportunity that I'm super stressed out about. I've got, you know, bills to pay. Where is God right now? That's where our faith conversation is normally going, rightfully so, uh, because that's the immediate pressing encounters of our lives. But in addition to that, as we have the big dialogue, I think it's helpful that we take a step back. Now, you might not know this, but I'm going to kind of build it for you. So because I'm not a history buff, I'm going to do my very best to, like, really, really make this engaging. I promise it won't be boring. Um, but I'm just kind of, you know, giving you the idea that, for me, I would immediately tune out if this wasn't helpful and interesting to me. So, every major faith tradition, I don't know if you knew this, but every major faith tradition has a story, a starting point, include, like, obviously, the Christian faith, but in addition to that. So, they all have this history, and because we don't take the time to go back. We might not realize why we believe and what we believe and, and how we got to where we are today. And so as you consider faith, here's the presentation I want to give you today. I want you to consider this background, that the three largest faith traditions on the planet today, the three largest faith traditions, they all share the same starting point. Did you know that? Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all share the same Starting point. And again, if we're asking, hey, how do we restart faith? Like, if we could just restart it, where would we start? Two weeks ago, we talked about it, that we wouldn't just start with the Bible says, because for, for a lot of people, the Bible says is a non-starter. That's not a good and adequate place to start when I'm having doubts around faith. And so now we're backing up even further. All three faith traditions, all three major faith traditions on the planet today have this single idea. There's a single God, and again, obviously there's little, little pieces different, but there's a, 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 a collective agreement that there's a single creator God, that, that all three faith traditions agree that there's this first man, this, this, this guy named Adam, right? We were talking about it last week. We don't know if he had a belly button or not, but that's not really the point of this conversation, but you can wrestle with that on your own, right? And, and so, so for Islam, for example, right, not only do they believe that there, you know, there's this first man, this the first Adam, but also he was the first Muslim, right? Or for Judaism, right, there's this belief that, that Adam was created and he's the first man, but also, you know, what's funny is for Christianity, like, like as followers of Jesus, we don't believe in Adam because the, the Bible says. We actually believe in Adam because Jesus talked about it, and we just kind of roll with, like, you know, if someone can predict their own death and resurrection, we just kind of believe whatever they have to say, right? Like, after that, we're like, cool, yeah, we'll go with that guy. And so Christians believe it for, for a slightly different reason, um, but all three believe that there's a starting point, and all three believe that humans messed up th this, this starting point along the way. All three believe that at some point, humans messed up God's perfect plan. And, and here's the deal. I, I realize that we can be all over the place on our spiritual journey today, but all of us can acknowledge that, like, 
we live in a messed up world to a degree. Now, now where you want to shift the blame and all of that, that's totally a conversation for a different day. But that our world is broken, that there's some things that are messed up, that something is wrong is a pretty consistent agreement across all faith traditions and even outside of faith. Now, here's what's interesting about the conversation today, is that all three faith traditions come together around one singular man after the whole creation and, and all of that. And it's this guy named Abraham. Just show of hands real fast. Who's, who's heard of the guy named Abraham? Just raise your hands. Just ever, like heard the name. Yeah, okay, cool. So, so it's gonna be really interesting. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But all three faith traditions, this is so important. All three faith traditions, they meet here at this guy named Abraham and they split here at this guy named Abraham. And so t- the goal today, by the way, is, is not to get you to believe in, in, you know, the original account of Adam and Eve or, or to get you to, you know, hardcore dive into an, uh, a, Genesis, a Genesis account of Abraham. That's not, that's not the goal today. The goal is this, that today we're going to look at a conversation between God and this man named Abraham in Genesis. And I believe this conversation touches on a very real tension that many of us feel. And if it's not you, then you know someone who's wrestling with this tension, or you've wrestled with this tension in the past, or you're trying to figure out, maybe you've been shoving it down, you know, I don't want to really want to think about that tension, but that tension exists. And, and it's this question. If there is a God, where do I stand with him? And, and maybe more importantly, not only where do I stand, but how do I know If there is a God, where do I stand with him? How do I know where I stand with him? Can you even know where you stand with him? Is is it possible to have peace? Is it possible to have security around these really, really big questions? So we're going to talk about that today. And there's this amazing, amazing statement that we're going to look at that I think can add a lot of clarity to that tension that you and I feel. But to add clarity to this story today, uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of my background, okay? So um, when I was 15 years old, my dad and I rebuilt a 1989 Chevy single cab Silverado. It was my, the year I was born, bought the truck. I mean, we rebuilt it, guys, and it was perfect, immaculate. It was blue and shiny, 20-inch wheels, 20-inch subs. They weren't really that big. But, like, I mean, it was decked out, right? For a 15-year-old going into his junior year, 16 years old, I was about to be. We, we worked, I mean, sweat blood and tears all summer rebuilding this janky truck when we got it, okay? I mean, it was rough when we got it, and we worked hard rebuilding. I mean, it came out better than any car dealership could ever. I mean, it was just amazing. Cal induction hood, dual exhaust. I mean, it was a chick magnet, okay? And that was a really big deal to me at 16. And so, uh, um, I, I would, you know, I got my license at 16, started driving to school, and there was this back road that you could take, and it kind of got you around all the lights and the traffic, and we kind of small town in the middle of, like, the downtown Fort Worth area in Texas, and so we could take this back road to kind of cut some traffic out, and uh, so I was cruising, just, just a little late to school, had to get there early, so I was going really fast down this back road, and I look up, and, I, and it was before, like, text messaging, okay, so I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't texting, okay, so at least it wasn't that, but whatever I was doing, I wasn't paying attention. I look up, and the cars are stopped in front of me, and I slam on my brakes as fast as I can, and I can't stop, and I plow into the back of the car in front of me and just crumple. I mean, this just, you know the feeling when you're just, like, sick to your stomach? And in the first thought after that, <laughs> not how are the people in front of me, not am I bleeding. My first thought is my dad is going to kill me. <laughs> right? That's my first thought. My dad and I worked so hard all summer, and I just wrecked this incredible car. 
and I don't know what to do. So I call my dad. He says, I'll be right there, and I'm just sick to my stomach the whole time. No idea, right? 16 years old, never been in an accident. And my dad gets there, and what he could have done, and what I was expecting, if we're being honest, just in the moment, you know, you kind of build these ideas in your head. I expected him to get out, to point his finger at me, and say, look at the mess that you made. This is on you. This is your fault. You can figure out a way home. That's what my dad could have said. But most of you would give the benefit of the doubt to my dad, and most of you would give, give the benefit of the doubt to, to most, you know, generally good human beings on the planet, right? What does he do? My dad gets out of the car. I remember he, he pulled up so fast. It's still emotional for me. He, he pulled up so fast, right? Drove across town to get there. First question out of his mouth, are you okay? And then he just hugs me. And I don't even, I'm, <laughs> I just start crying, right? <laughs> like, I don't even know what to do. It was so, I, it was such a moment for me where I, I knew what I deserved, and that's not what I received. So then he towed the, the truck home, right? We, we tied it to a strap, and I'm, you know, towing it home with him. And, and it started a journey, obviously. Uh, there was consequences to follow. <laughs> but in the moment, my dad met me with a lot of grace and love. And here's the deal. Um, I, that might be unique to my story, but, but it's not unique across the board. Like, again, that's a, that would be an appropriate response. We would expect that from a decent father, right? But some of us, we look at God in this story and we think that God looks at our messes, he looks at our personal lives, he looks at the world, for example, and he says, look at the mess that you made. Why don't you just figure that out on your own and come call me when you got it all cleaned up? And what's ironic is some of us would actually attribute more compassion to the people that we know personally in our lives. I realize not everyone grew up in a good home and, and you don't have a good father. I, I get that, okay? So, I mean, we're just generalizing here. But sometimes, man, we, we have the tendency to, to attribute more compassion to an earthly father than to God, which, which, if we were following that argument, would say that, for example, my, my dad or myself, we, we, I would be more godly than God, <laughs> which is totally not true, but again, based on your background, based on your experiences, based on b b what you've been told and what you've seen and what you've not seen come to pass, my, my only point here is that maybe there's something about God that you haven't seen. Maybe there's something about God that you've missed, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so in the same way, God looks at the mess <laughs> that humanity has created in this world. And again, you and I can't imagine, okay? You go back to the ancient world, you and I can't imagine the chaotic lawlessness, right? We have social just justice issues and all kinds of things we're dealing with in our current world, but we can't imagine the chaos and lawlessness of the ancient world, where might was right, and you take what you want. And so I think God had a decision to make, right? He, he looks at the brokenness in humanity, the messed upness of the world, and he has, he has a decision to make. Can I, should I enter into that mess? Should I help them figure this out? Or should I just hang a big out of order sign across the planet and say, let's start over somewhere else, right? Because that would have been easier, right? Like, man, let's just start over. But here's what I want you to understand is that God waded into our mess, the mess of humanity. He didn't point a finger and say, figure it out. But God looked at the mess that the world was living in. And with compassion, he met us there. And so he actually wades into this mess, beginning with this guy named Abraham. 1876 B.C. This is, all major faith traditions agree on this, by the way. So this is what's really unique about the conversation. Abraham was a normal dude. God's going to enter into human history 
through this guy. And, and again, this guy is not exceptional. I don't, know, I don't know what you think it takes to have a relationship with God. I don't know what you, you, know, you think God is looking for. But Abraham is like way, way, way subpar, okay? Meaning before God shows up, here's his track record. He's going through Egypt with his wife, Pharaoh, the king, you know, the king of, of Egypt. He, he looks at Abraham's wife and says, dang, girl, right? And, and so he's like, I want her. And then the guard, you know, they come to Abraham, hey, is this your wife? And he's like, oh, no, she's more like a sister, <laughs> Right, and his, his mind is, well, if, if we're married, uh, they're going to take my wife and my life. <laughs> but if we're related, maybe they'll just take my wife and I can go find another, right? That, that's Abraham's starting point. Great, great dude, right? I mean, that, what a guy. What a guy. And so God looks at Abraham, not because of his, his amazing morality and righteousness and behavior, right? He just starts with this normal, normal guy. And here's what happens. Genesis 12. Check this out. Genesis 12, this is the conversation I want to share with you. Now, God shows up to Abram. And says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right, so he's removing, by the way, communities are really, really big deal. Again, because there's not really nations, there's not really states, there's not really formal governance. Com- community, like not being isolated, is a massive deal so you don't just get pummeled in the world around you. And God says to Abraham, I want you to go away from all of that. He's got no kids, no community, I want you to start over. And here's what God tells Abram. Uh, later he's going to call him Abraham. I will make of you, he makes him three promises. This is amazing, by the way. Okay, this is before the Bible, this is before Jesus, Islam, uh, Judaism, it's before it all, okay? I will make of you a great nation. First promise. Which is interesting, that came true, did you know that? Like straight up from this poem, you you go back, you look at, at, at Islam as well as Judaism, Israel would say, yep, that's us. The Arab nations would say, yep, that's us. This is 4,000 years ago. They'd all claim this singular point in time. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he goes on. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Do you know that came true too? Again, how many, you heard of Abraham, right? Everybody in here? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it unique that halfway across the world, 4,000 years later, we all know the name Abraham. Most people, I mean, most people know the name Abraham, even if they don't know why they know that name. They've heard of it. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of this guy? Cheddar Laomer. Come on. You've, you've had to have heard of this guy. Cheddar Laomer. It's so fun to say. Sounds like some kind of fancy cheese. Cheddar Laomer. This is the king of Edom during Abraham's time. I mean, he is the business, guys. He is a big, big deal. You've all heard of him, right? Interesting. Isn't it, wow, isn't it unique that everyone in the room has heard of this guy named Abraham, but no one has heard of this guy, and he was the biggest deal in town at the time. Hmm. Right? It's amazing that God makes these promises, and then we have historical facts that they're actually coming true. Check this out, verse 3. It's his third promise. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what's amazing is the Muslims in this, po- in this point, they say, yep, that's us. All the nations blessed through Islam. The Jews would say, yep, that's us. All the nations blessed through us. And the Christians say, yep, that's us. And think about it. Think about all the amazing things. I I get that there's a lot of not great things from religion, by the way. (laughs) Okay, so we're not arguing for both sides of this. But think about all the amazing things. All the hospitals named after Christian foundations and Christian people and and did not, right? I mean, there's amazing things that happen in the world thanks to faith. And you're like, well, which, which one is it? Which one did God promise? God just promised Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's happened. And there's, there's an agreement. Isn't that interesting? Now, in this moment, 
God makes all these promises, and Abraham has some struggles and has some doubts because he's never seen a nation. He doesn't have any children. Now he has no community, and he's like, ah, God, I really don't know how we're going to do this. By the way, they're really old, like super old, like, like way past childbearing years. And he's like, yeah, you know, me and my wife aren't exactly, you know, able to, to make this happen, if you know what I'm saying. And so he's got some struggles and doubts. He's like, I got nothing and no one. And his biggest concern is that because he has no heir, everything he owns up to this point is going to go to his servant. And so here's what God says in verse 4 to reassure Abraham. Check this out. He responds, and he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eleazar is the name of his servant, that he's concerned about getting all of his, his inheritance. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir, which is, again, a big deal because they're, they're in their 90s, way past childbearing, virtually impossible. And watch what God does. Verse 5. And, and God brings him outside and says, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them, knowing that he can't, right? You guys ever been camping? No, no light to mess up the incredible sky that we sit under and just the innumerable stars. Imagine that moment. Nothing to cloud the night sky, the Milky Way galaxy as he walks out, right? They're just innumerable. And he says, catch a vision because your offspring are gonna be just like that, right? And, and Abraham's like, uh, you should probably let my wife know. <laughs> I don't know if she's going to be too excited about that, okay? Right? How are we going to do this? This doesn't make any sense. I know you don't have a son. I know you don't have an heir, but this is my promise. And again, this is an amazing, ancient, 4,000-year-old 4, text that we're looking at. And in this moment, what I'm about to show you is what I really want, wanted to share with you today, is that in a moment, God is going to state the nature and the terms of the relationship between God and man. Listen, don't miss it. God is going to state the nature and the terms. Because it's cool. Okay, cool. God promises all those things. What, what's Abraham have to do to keep it, to maintain it, to earn it? Does he have to be a really good boy? He's got to go to church a lot, give his money, pray, read the Bible, don't kill anybody. You know what I mean? What, what's the expectation for Abraham to see all these promises come to pass? And in a second, God is going to define the terms of the relationship between him and Abraham and ultimately between God and humanity. And this is that point, guys. I want you to wrestle with it in your own heart and mind. Because you, a lot of us, we lean forward and we're like, ah, Drake, do you, do you even know? How can you know? Can I know? I'm not even sure if I know. I thought I knew one time, but now I'm not sure if I even know. And I, how can we nail this down? Maybe I don't know. And this statement, here's what's amazing, what, what we're about to read. This statement is where all three major faith traditions split. I told you that they, they, they come together here, but what I'm about to read you is so good. It's, it's so too good to be true that they all split around what I'm about to share with you. Now, again, this is 2,600 years before Islam. This is 2,000 years before Jesus. This is way before the Ten Commandments, okay? Just giving you context. Check this out, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. That word means right standing, not activity, relationship. What happens? Abraham takes a deep breath. And he says, okay. God, I, I trust you. That's all he's got, right? He looks at all the promises that God has made. He's got no reason other than to trust that God is going to do what he said 
he would do. And the single moment of faith for Abraham is what God counts toward him as a right standing. Again, listen, not because of his behavior. This is so important. Because not only did he lie about his wife, but later he would sleep with one of his servants because he doesn't think that God's promise. He, he goes back into doubting. You ever done that? Where you're like, cool, I'm gonna have faith. And then you gotta doubt again. That's exactly what Abraham does after this. He sleeps with one of his servants because he's concerned that God's not going to produce a son through his wife. That's how we get the Arab nation, by the way. God's promise holds true even in the middle of Abraham's lack of of obedience. In this moment, let let me give it to you this way. Trusting in God resulted in a right standing with God. Trusting in God resulted in a right standing with God. So for the Jews, again, I, I gave you a couple of different, different pieces here for, for the different nations. For the Jews, right, they're like, no, 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 no. It's not just like that, but you also have to be Jewish, right? You want to be right with God for Judaism? It's, it's you got to be Jewish. And then, again, when Jesus shows up on the scene, you know what all the, all the Jews are saying to him? We don't need you. We're Abraham's kids. In fact, if you want to be a part of God's family, all you have to do is become Jewish. That's the answer. For the Muslims, 620 AD, this is, this is after Jesus, Muhammad shows up and said, no, you're right with God by believing in God. Sure, that's a start, but you also have to believe in his prophets, and you also have to live a life of good deeds. And at the end of your life, Allah will make a decision of whether or not you're right or not. You can't actually know, you just got to hope for the best. And so for, for for the Muslims, it's, it's what you believe and what you do that matters. And then the Christians, here's what's interesting, is Jesus shows up, the Christians begin to identify with him, and he says, absolutely, that's it. It's faith. It's trust. It's just belief that God is who he said he is. He's going to do what he said he would do. And in that moment, Jesus is just being consistent in this message. Everybody's like, yeah, Jesus. And then he dies, and they're like, oh, no, Jesus. And they all bail out, and then he rises from the, gra- the grave, and they're like, yeah, Jesus. And then he ascends into heaven, and they're like, I don't know if he was right. And straight up, right, today, how many, how many different faith traditions are there? And all these, all these Christians start to fight and agree, but like, okay, yeah, 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 it's faith in Jesus, but also, like, maybe you should still be Jewish? Or maybe it matters what you eat or don't eat, or, you know, maybe it matters how many times you go to synagogue or, or, or to church, or, you know, and all of a sudden, the Christians even start arguing, because why? This is too good to be true. It can't be that simple, can it? So what is it for you? Let me ask you a question. What do you struggle with? Is it birth that makes you right with God? Is it, is it behavior that makes you right with God? Is it belief that makes you right with God? Or is it some combination of, of all three for you or, or one or two of them? See, this is the moment that you and I really start to struggle because a lot of us have been exposed to different flavors <laughs> of this conversation. But I need you to hear me. Listen, 4,000 years prior to what you and I are sitting in today, what's amazing in this moment is that the Most High God would make the standard of a relationship so very simple. Daniel, why don't you come up? Rather, the Most High God would make the first step on the ladder in relationships so very low. He would look at a mess of our own making in the same way that my dad would look at my own mistakes. He would look at our own mess, our own brokenness, our own, again, we, we talked about this last week, so you can go back and look at it. He would look at our own mess, and regardless of your belief on sin, regardless of your religious background and what kind of home you grew up in, We've all made our own messes. And, and really what it comes to is, can we ask God for help in our mess? Am I willing to go there? Could I go there? And again, the key to this conversation is not who I'm related to. It's not how good of a person I've been or not been or my behavior. Right? The key to this is trust. That's it. 
God drops this bomb on humanity. That when Abraham chooses to trust in God, he's made right with God. And all this means, listen, when we talk about faith and trust, it's, it's not like have more faith in faith. It's not believe a little harder. What we're talking about is do you believe that God is who he says he is and he can do in your life what he said he would do? That's faith. That's trust. And it's so simple and it's so clear. And I think it's so simple and so clear that we, we struggle to embrace it. It can't be that easy. It's got to be a little extra, right? And so here's my question for you today. What if the starting point for a relationship with God is trust? What if? You know why this is hard? Is because there's nowhere else on the planet where you and I are unconditionally loved based on trust. Think about it. That wasn't true at school, was it? It wasn't true on your sports teams. It's not true in the workplace. For some, it wasn't true in your home. You know, it's really unfortunate for a lot of people. It's not been true in the church to be unconditionally loved based on trust. Let me give you just some, some closing thoughts to reflect on, okay? A couple of passages. This is from Jesus. Check this out. John chapter 8. Jesus is having a conversation with the Jews, and they're having the same, the same battle that I was telling you about earlier. And Jesus says to them, Listen, look, look at this. Your father Abraham, he rejoiced that he would see my day. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, the thing that Abraham was believing God for is right in front of you. The thing that was credited to his account that day is right in front of you. And the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? It's a good question. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I'm the same God that made him that promise. I'm the same God with skin on before you. I'm the same God that has waded into the mess of humanity to fix what has been broken. But check this out. Because there's another guy, after Jesus, there's a guy who's a hardcore Jew. I mean, the religious elite. I mean, he is just all in a hardcore child of Abraham, okay? He's a, he is Jew to a T. He hates Jesus. He hates the church. He's killing Christians. He's doing everything he can to stop what Jesus is talking about. And then watch what happens. Check this out. This is Paul after he becomes a Christian. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason to find confidence in the flesh, talking about the Jews and their behavior and morality, he says, I have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, I'm an Abraham's kid, right? I mean, he is like pedigree, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, man, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. You think behavior is what makes you right with God? Look at me, he says. But check this out. Look what he says next. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason, I'm sorry, go, go to the next question. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that my, I might gain Christ. He's talking about Jesus and be found in him. Listen, listen to this. This is Paul's conclusion after being a hardcore Jew. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That same right standing. Let me give you one more, Ephesians 2. Same author, he says it again. He says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace is that thing that you and I don't deserve. It's when, it's when God looks at our mess and rather than getting the consequences of our own mess, he enters into it. So I want you to know what my dad did for me. He hugged me, checked on me, we took it home, and then he and I both put our hands together to rebuild what was broken. He didn't have to do that. I definitely didn't deserve it. And I know that that example falls short compared to the amazing love of God that we're talking about, but I need you to hear me. It's by grace through faith. So, a couple of questions for you as we close our time. Which of the following best reflects your past view? And I say your past view because my assumption is that today I have convinced you otherwise because it was such a good talk. <laughs> but which, which one reflects your best, your, your past view, that God accepts me based on my birth, that God accepts me based on my behavior, that God accepts me based on my belief, or maybe a combination? What'd you grow up in? Do the digging. Second question. Can it be as simple as faith? And could I embrace that? Can it be that simple to be made right with God by trusting in Jesus? And the last thing is this. What bearing would this have or should this have on my relationship with God? If this is all it takes, think about it. If this is all it takes to trust that God is that good, that he loves you, that he entered into your mess and my mess to have a relationship with him, that trusting in him is all that it takes, then what kind of bearing would that have on your relationship? Do you think it leads you to obligation and guilt and shame that you have to go to church, you have to be religious, you have to read the Bible, you have to pray, you have to give, you have to be good, you have to, have to, have to? Or do you think that the motive might start to shift. That love might actually be inviting me into something better than guilt and shame could ever push me into. And another question I didn't put on the screen, but I'd like you to wrestle with it, is what bearing would this or should this have on my relationship with others? Because my faith it might be personal, but it's never meant to be private. That if I receive the unconditional love of God, not because I earned it or deserved it, how might that change the way that I love other people and serve other people and show up in the spaces? How might that change how I show up in city group? How might that change how I pray? How might that change how I treat my kids? How might that change how I treat my boss and talk about others and deal with conflict? These are things for you to wrestle with, okay? So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me, close your eyes. This is just a moment of privacy for you and me. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, um, this is just a moment to kind of remove distraction in the room and to reflect on this conversation. And I know that we didn't land the plane really, really hard today, and that's on purpose, because I realize that we have all kinds of different people on different places in their spiritual journey, and I want you to know with confidence that I believe that, that Jesus is the answer to all that we're talking about. But I realize that that might not be your next step today. And so as you wrestle with your own story, what might be your next step in this moment? Maybe you're looking for confidence and reassurance. 
And maybe for the first time today, the love of God is becoming clear to you. And if I could give you the clearest picture of God's love, it's in the person and the work of Jesus, God in the flesh, who would live a perfect life, enter into our mess, give his life as payment to make things right, die and rise again. So that when we choose faith, when we choose trust, we're saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you were, and that you can do in my life what you said you would do to make me right with God. And maybe for some of you in the room today, you're ready to make that decision, you're ready to take that step, say, Jesus, I trust in you. And I want you to know it is that simple, and it's that real. And it's in that moment that you and I become right with God. We stop trusting in ourselves. We start, stop trusting in our behavior. We stop trusting in our pedigree. We stop trusting in our performance. We stop trusting in our intellect, although that's not unwelcome. But we go outside of ourselves and outside of our own mess and we say, God, I need you. For others of us, you're wrestling with faith. You're trying to figure out what you believe and why. And I would encourage you to keep pressing in, to keep leaning in. I've had many people tell me over the last couple of weeks, man, I, I would love for this to be true. And if you're in that space today, I would, I would just encourage you, keep leaning in. And for others of us, man, you're a follower of Jesus, but sometimes your faith, if you're like me, it gets kind of stuck. It gets stagnant. It becomes something that I do maybe in the morning or in the evening, and then it has no bearing on the rest of my day. And maybe today you and I would sit and reflect to say, what kind of bearing should this have on my relationship with other people? That as I spend time with God daily and intimately, how should it change how I love my neighbor and my family and my coworker? So God, give us next steps this morning. And give us the boldness and the faith to trust you. It's in Jesus' name.